0: Now, I just wanted to take a, a little bit of a idea here. How many um, how many people saw the note I put up on Facebook last night about what we're doing here today? All right, so about how many did not? All right, just give you an idea how much we've got to uh, go over all that because it was kind of long. <laughs> but if you had people or people have come into your life And have spoken words to you. And they say how loyal they're going to be. They say how much they care for you. How faithful they will be. Anybody had that? Get people in your life. Only to show you down the road. That they were not genuine. That they weren't loyal. They weren't faithful. They didn't care nearly as much as they said. They let us down when we needed them. They pretended to be something. They never were. Or just plain said. What they thought we wanted to hear. We're looking today at fakers, pretenders, and quacks. <laughs> because we've had people in our life that would be categorized as fakers, pretenders, and quacks. We're looking at how to build our support team. How do we get people around us that when we need them, they are there? We're going to continue to look at the situation with King David with Absalom. We've looked at this before, we looked at it from the aspect of learning about rebellion. We looked at it from the aspect of of, uh, leadership and uh, things. along, But we're we're not looking at any of those things. We're skipping a whole lot of details in the story because we're looking at one main aspect. That is who was around to help David, who supported him, and who did not. How were they put into place? How did they come about? How did David, David handle this? How did he use those people that were in his life to support him? Understand, David did not build his support team when he needed it. He built his support team as a lifelong mission. This is just what he does. And when he needs it, it's there. If you've ever wondered why there's no support team for you when you've needed it, it may be because you didn't spend time building it. So we're looking at principles in the word, how do I build a support team? How do I build it with people that they want to support me? We saw last week that David had one particular person A tie who just came to him one day. He just came yesterday, and now all of a sudden David is fleeing for his life, and he says, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. If you die, I die. (laughs) I mean, how would you like to have a a member on your support team like that in one day? And so we spent some time taking a look at him with that. Now, last week when we got finished, I had somebody, and I appreciate when you do this, I had somebody at the end of the service that came to me and said, Hey, what about this part? And I left the whole section out, and I kicked myself because I really wanted to get into it, and I didn't. And so I actually had written it in. I was going to get into it here in the beginning part, but I don't have to because when we get to chapter 19, everybody say Joab. Joab. When we get to Joab, you make sure that I get into it because <laughs> it's important. But it's right there in that part of this, the Scripture as well. And so we'll spend some time uh, taking a look at that. Well, I did have some glasses around. I don't know what I did with them. Why are they in the outside? Who put them in my outside pocket? I don't know what you people are doing with me here. I never put them in the outside pocket. (laughs) Thank you very much for that. I did today. That is for sure. That's where they were. All right. I wanted to define something for you. This is not a definition you will find in Webster's or um, any of the dictionaries online. I spent a lot of time, because as I was putting this together, I I was... I contemplated on a lot of things, but I wanted to contemplate, what are we going to call this? And so I came down to these three words, fakers, pretenders, and quacks. So I spent some time to figure out what is the difference between a faker, what is the difference between them and a pretender, and certainly what is the difference between them and a quack? Because we can kind of put them all in the same thing and look at them as one way. So I wrote this down. It's not in your outline at all. You don't have to write it down unless you want to. But this is what I'm going to give you. A faker is one who fakes being what is wanted or needed for a short time. They just they just fake it. I don't have to do this for long. I'm not in this for the long haul. I'm just faking it, you know, maybe just for an hour. Maybe just while you're at the Walmart shopping, somebody is faking being something. And then as soon as you leave, they... (laughs) They do something. They're just fakers. They're just in it to to fake. Pretenders. One who becomes what is wanted or needed for a longer run, but only for show. It's not genuine. They know they're in this for a longer haul. So they're a pretender. They're not just a faker. They're not just in this for the short term. They're in it for the long haul. So these are the people that as soon as they see you coming, they change. They become what they need to be in order to get what they want to get from you. They're a pretender. And they will carry that on. They intend to carry that on for a long period of time. They'll carry it on until they're discovered. When they're discovered, they will try and lie their way out of it. And they will try and, and keep the pretend going on. But once they can't, then they just bail out. Then we have the last group, the, quake, the, the quacks. This is one that doesn't fake or pretend. They just say what they what people want to hear. Whatever you want to hear, whatever they come up with, this is what you want, we'll just give it to you. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Somebody calls you on the phone because you want to renew your auto warranty. Right? They're not in this for the long haul. We are just, we're just going to be a quack. We're just going to say what you want to hear. We want to just say what we need to. And as soon as we don't get anything... I mean, how many have ever had one of them people hang up on you? <laughs> and and sometimes they're just downright rude. Yeah, they're just a quack. So they're not trying to put anything into it. Let's just see what we can throw out there and what we can get. So you're going to have these aspects of people in your life. The, the big thing is, how do I tell the difference between them and someone who's genuine? Would that help you if you knew how to tell the people in your life that are quacks, pretenders, and fakers from those that are genuine. Wouldn't that help you to know that? There's some clues that you can see, and we're going to see this here in this chapter. Now, we're skipping around a little bit because we're here for for the one aspect. I love this story. I love the things that come out of it, what we can learn from it, but we're not here for the whole story. Four verses here in chapter 16. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. Just in case you don't know who Mephibosheth is, Mephibosheth is a descendant, he's a son of Jonathan. David was in covenant with Jonathan. David had asked who among Jonathan's descendants, can I uh, maintain the covenant with and no one would tell him or if they didn't know, the nurse had picked up Mephibosheth and had run off. Uh, he got hurt and we don't know if he was told all his time, David hates you. If David finds out about you, David will kill you. So he spent his whole life hiding from David. David finally finds out that he's there and Mephibosheth must think, well, it's over now. They're going to kill me. This is what people have been telling me all my life. When David finds me, he says, oh no, you're going to eat at my table now. Everything that was in your father's house, Everything that was in the house of Saul, it's all yours. And here you've got a servant now to take care of all that stuff. You don't need any of it. I am going to take care of you completely. And all that stuff is just to build up for your family. But you won't have to spend a dime on food. You're going to live here in the palace. We're taking care of you. And so his entire life changed. David had taken him from a place of hiding and elevated him to a place at the king's table. Not because of who he was, but because of who his father was and the covenant that he had with him. And so he took his servant, Ziba, and he put him in charge of all the things in the house. This was Saul's servant, put him in charge of all this. So there was not, as far as we can tell, not a whole lot of contact between the servant and Mephibosheth because he spent all his time at the palace. But for all these years that David has been king, all these years since he found Mephibosheth, he has shown kindness to Mephibosheth. Most kings would have killed him wiped out his entire house, because he was a threat to the throne. David did not. David didn't see it as a threat, didn't see this as a problem. His confidence was in God. He brought him in, and this is the kind of things that had gone on before. It's important to know that before you go on. Just want to make sure everybody was aware. So, he met him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. The king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now, four verses here, pretty power packed. This is the guy I really wanted you to see out of this chapter. and We're going to go jump on ahead to the, to, uh, the end part here. But I want you to, to see what's going on with Ziba. How many have never heard of Ziba? Anybody never heard of Ziba before? Everybody, everybody know about Ziba? Everybody knows the end result, where Ziba goes? All right. Ziba is a servant. Where does he get the donkeys, the wine, the fruit from? He gets it from Mephibosheth because he is taking care of all of Mephibosheth's stuff. What he brings to David is not his. It is Mephibosheth. He brings all this and he gives it to David. He's thinking about this. And what does David need while well, he's out there? And the donkeys would help with some of the household to uh, take some of the women and put them on, so they don't have to have to walk. Help them out with that. And he brought up some fruits, and he he lists there what it what it is. I'm not sure why I'm drinking wine out in the wilderness. I would think water is better, but I I don't know uh, about that sort of thing. But apparently they having some wine with. Was that a helpful thing? But Zeba falsely presents a bad picture of Mephibosheth. And he says to him, Indeed, he is st- st- staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. Now, this is a lie. This never happened. This is a risky endeavor on Zeba's part. Understand this is a a great risk on his part. Because can this lie be revealed? A piece of cake. If they make it back to the kingdom, Mephibosheth says, no, that didn't happen. Now, maybe he's hoping that it'll be my word against his word. And maybe it won't be so bad. I think, I pondered this for a long time, trying to figure out why would somebody do this? I think what Ziba is thinking is that David was merciful to Mephibosheth. Absalom has no mercy. And Mephibosheth is under Absalom's rule right now. He was pretty sure, I think, that Absalom would kill Mephibosheth. And if Absalom kills Mephibosheth, there is no one to say anything different than the story that Ziba has. And what Ziba is hoping for is all this stuff that I've been taking care of, I want it to be mine. So I'm going to give this story, and as long as Absalom reacts the way that Absalom generally does, Mephibosheth should be dead by the time we get back. I think that's his calculated risk. I think that's what he's doing. Because then there's no one when they come back that can say anything different. So here's the problem, though. Verse 4. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. David has a lot of good things going for him. This is not one of them. This was bad news. David makes a judgment on Mephibosheth in an instant. Now, take a look at these two, two players here. Ziba. How much interaction does David have with Ziba? Not a whole lot. Ziba's over there taking care of the household for Mephibosheth. How much interaction does David have with Mephibosheth? Pretty regular. As much as David is at the palace, when they're having dinner, when they're having lunch, when they're having a meal, David is there with Mephibosheth. There's probably some interaction on some days, maybe not every day, but on a lot of days there's interaction. So there's some things that are being sown. I'm sure that Mephibosheth is showing that he is grateful for all the things that, that David has done. And he probably makes some note. David, I just want to let you know I, I just don't deserve any of these things, but, boy, I appreciate you appreciate you taking care of me this way and, and helping me out like this and just loving on me. And he probably hears this all the time and then all of a sudden he gets a bad report. He gets a report that, no, Mephibosheth, he's thinking he's going to take the throne. Oh, all that time I've been putting into Mephibosheth. Have you ever had this with people? All that time I've been putting into brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. All that time I have been so into them, and here they are concocting this scheme, jumping on board here, trying to get rid of me. I can't believe that. When I get back, I'm going to take care of that Mephibosheth. Covenant or no covenant, whatever <laughs> We're we're going to take care of everything he's got. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. He does not listen to another side. The Bible tells us this all the time. I've talked about it. You've talked about it. You've thought about it. You've been in situations where you've seen this, yet we will still go out and we will hear one side of an argument and make a judgment. David is wrong for making this judgment. He could have just said, Zebeth, thanks very much for this. When we get back, we'll take care of this matter. And left it at that. Not make any declarations. Sometimes when we hear people making, people bringing a case before us about someone that we know, and we make a declaration. Do not make declarations based on one side of an argument. If you've got a friend You've had a lot lot of time building that friendship up, and then somebody else comes who's also a friend, and they come and they say things. Do you know this friend is saying this behind your back? Do you know this friend has said this about you? And you think, oh, they have. I can't believe that they would. Why would they say something like that? Folks, do not believe it. Do not trust it. On the basis of how many witnesses every word shall be established? Two or three, yet we will constantly make decisions based on one. The more times that you make decisions based on one person's testimony, the less support you will have. Because it will get around to other people. Well, they you may help them out, but you know, they'll turn on you. If somebody comes and they tell you a bad report, they're out. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. If someone wants to come and bring you a bad report, the best thing you can do is say, Did they really say that? You know what? Come on with me. Let's go and find brother so-and-so. Let's go and find sister so-and-so. Let's just settle this right now. Oh, no, no, no. You only have to do that once or twice. And the word will get around to the pretenders, the fakers, and the quacks. Don't do it. Don't do it. They will call you on it. You call a couple people on that, they will be so embarrassed. They won't try it again. But just, it will protect you. It will keep you safe. Don't do it. But if you can't do it, you're sometimes in a situation where you cannot bring that person to the other one. This is what I have kept constantly trying to do. I don't know when I adopted this practice, but I I did it mostly for survival. Because when people come and they want to tell you that, if I can't go and check it out, it goes right out of my head. I just forget it. I don't, but but it's, but they're real close to you. They, They said these things. I don't know about it. And I just go on. If I can't check it out, generally you can, but if you can't check it out for whatever reason, just get, let it go right out of your head. Don't let your actions, don't let your thoughts, don't let your words be formed by what you heard. Let it go. Start this practice young. Don't wait until you're older to do this. The younger we start this practice, the easier it is for us. There are plenty of zebas in the world. Who will seize upon opportunities that they did not create to try and get something for themselves? They are not here to help you; they are simply here to help themselves. All that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, "I humbly bow before you that I might find favor in your sight, my lord, O king." I'm sure inside he's saying, "It worked! It worked! It worked!" David had a bad time. David's got a lot of pressure on him right now. And for some reason he gave in to this and he said, yeah, you know what? That's fine. I could I could see that happening. The Word of God says, believe the best in the people that are around you. That's, that's walking in love. Believe the best. The enemy is constantly going to throw things your way to try and get you to not believe the best, to get, to get you into an accusing role. That's the role of the enemy. Don't get into that. So David, here's this false, this bad picture, and he accepts it on the basis of one witness. Now, if you don't believe something on one witness, a pretender, a faker, a quack, they won't care. I'll put it this way. A pretender will not care what that says and will judge you for bringing it up. They don't care that you're showing character by saying, you know what, let's check this out. I need to, I need to get more witnesses on this. No, nope. Basis of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Sometimes, you know, we've heard this, this uh, thrown around in our world today amongst the media. Well, the seriousness of the charge merits we investigate. Have you ever heard that? The seriousness of the charge? Because you can throw out whatever ridiculous charge that you want and because it's serious, well, we need to investigate. No. You know why you investigate something? Because there's evidence. If there's no evidence, you don't investigate. You need evidence. You have evidence, then you go out and you find something. But they want us to believe, well, for the seriousness of the charge. This is a serious charge here that we're throwing out. People will come up with all kinds of serious charges about your friends trying to undermine your support team. Because if these are people that God put in your life to support you, and someone comes along and causes you to doubt them, you're going to respond to them differently and you're going to wear away your support team. And when you need them, they won't be there. The devil loves this. This is what he looks for. Don't let him do it. You see, a, a real, genuine person, if they ever brought up something... And you said, I can't believe that on the basis of one witness, they would say, that's good. I appreciate that. You go check it out. You figure out what you want to do. I'm fine whichever way you want to do with that. I had we had one person years ago, many, many years ago, long enough that more than likely no one would have figured it out. (laughs) But we had one person who was in here in church and they accused one of the young people of stealing from them, going into their purse and stealing something out of their purse and uh, this person uh, made the made the charge to me and they, they said this to me and i said well do you know do you have any did you see anybody go into your purse no i didn't see anybody go into purse do you know that that was here when you came in the church well i'm pretty sure that i had it in my in my purse before I, I came here but you're now completely short and you didn't see them do that i said i can't do anything about this I told them that can't do a thing about this i said you don't have any evidence you didn't see no one else in the church saw I said it's not that big of a place we could see stuff. No one else in here saw. Now, I, and I told him right there, I said, we're not taking this any further. And I never brought it up to the particular young people that they that she accused. And she accused certain ones. I'm wondering, how, did you, how do you know who to accuse if you didn't see it? But she knew who to accuse. And so she, and I never brought it up to them. I never brought it up to their parents. I didn't bring it up at all. I let it go. Why? We have one witness. I told them. This is what I told them. I said, look, by the word of God, I can't do anything on this because the Word of God tells me on the basis of two or three witnesses, and we don't even have one. We have no witness who saw this. Go on. Now it turned out that person was a quack. (laughs) They revealed themselves down the down the road, and they eventually stopped coming because too much of what they were saying was uh, uh, came about to to be uncovered to be false. But but don't do it. Don't. You're going to be tempted. It's going to look good. People are going to present a really good emotional case. The Word of God is sound on the basis of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. If you can't establish it on the basis of two or three witnesses, let it go. Don't keep pushing it. So, David pronounced judgment. You're going to be, you you will also be tempted to pronounce judgment based on very little. The devil, many times, just puts a thought into your head and gets you to pass judgment on someone else. You see a look and we want to pass judgment on that. There's no witnesses to anything. I'm just thinking, I had a thought, I had an emotion, something stirred me. Do not give into it. Don't go that way. If you do, you won't have your support when you need it. Now, the media works to get us to do this on a regular basis. They are constantly showing us partial or edited video and audio for the purpose of believing what they want you to believe. Don't do it. If you do, you get yourself trained. This is what the devil loves to do. His kingdom, his darkness kingdom, loves to get you trained to make judgments based on little. Because if you can get you to be trained to do this, you eventually will have faith in the wrong things and lose faith in the right things. You will believe that God will do some things that He never said He would do, and you will have trouble believing God will do the things that He has said He will do. Don't do it. Be real careful that when things get in your head on the basis of a thought, on the basis of a single witness, that you do not dwell on it, don't continue to think on it, and Please don't do this. Do not do this. Don't speak on it. Don't vocalize it. Remember the guy at the gate? The prophet came and said, Hey, tomorrow we're going to be selling food real cheap. And only one guy, (laughs) only one, probably a whole mess of them doubted it, but only one guy vocalized it. And he's the one who dies. Don't vocalize your doubts. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't speak it to anybody else. Don't say, well, I don't know about so-and-so. I just want to go on record. I'm not sure about them. Don't do it. Now, some people who do this may not have evil intentions, but they do lack spiritual maturity. Let's go on to chapter 19. I was thinking about just going to the part where Zebedee comes in again, but this part was so important for us to see that we're going to start at verse 1. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. We're going to the end of the battle. Absalom has died. David asked that Absalom be preserved. Joab said, that is a bad decision. Kill him. And, and he made sure that he was, Absalom was dead. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. So they all won the battle. They all want to be happy. Hey, we won. David is back in charge. Oh, this is great. And they find out David is sad. David is mourning. And uh, and you can't be around the, the king, the leader, who's mourning and be happy because his son died. And so it should have been a day of rejoicing. Everyone should have been glad. But nope, it's not that way. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. Oh. Can you see the picture of that? Instead of running in, hey, we won, we won, we're going back like we lost this battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you have regard, that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today, this is great. I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. I don't know about you, but you can't handle too many Joabs in your life. You, you really can't. But you ought to have a couple. Maybe if you have at least one. Have at least one Joab in your life who will get up and slap you silly when you're doing something stupid. I mean, he's over there weeping for his son and Joab comes in, get up, slap, slap. (laughs) I bet you'd be happy if all the rest of us who fought for you died, but he, your enemy, lived. You'd be probably thrilled. This is what you have conveyed to everyone. This is what you have passed on. These people put their lives on the line for you. And here you are mourning for the one who started all this trouble? There are people today who died in battle protecting you. And you're sad because Absalom died? What are you saying to those people? What are you saying to those families who lost a son, lost a father, lost somebody in the the battle? What are you going to say to them? You're over here mourning for Absalom? Absalom, the man who rebelled and caused death. Oh, he's mad at him. He comes in, fire, firing at him. Now, Job's a friend. He's a friend. He is extremely loyal to David. He is not always the most spiritual of people, but he is a loyal friend. Now, therefore, arise, go out, and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear. By the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for one of Israel had fled to his tent. And then he gave them the pep talk that he should have given them before. But he didn't do it. Now, last week we put this in your right outline and skipped past it. Why did all this bad stuff come to David? Why didn't God stop it? Why doesn't God stop some of these? We had the tornadoes that came, you know, and I thought, oh, that would be a, a good launching point to look at that. All those tornadoes just kind of hit, to hit the people and just wiped out towns. I haven't seen that this kind of destruction from tornadoes since Joplin. Joplin, Missouri, that town which is flattened by the... the that had gone through there uh, years ago but all these all these places that were just just taken out and uh, I saw the videos you know the people screaming in, in terror because these things come at nighttime they came at nighttime. You can't see them. I've been in a place where tornadoes have come at nighttime and uh, for my first experience with them was down in Tulsa when we were closing up the store Ken's pizza and uh, one of the parents for the, the kids there was I think we're down to about three or four of us that were in there but well, one of the parents, one of the ones that was there, called up the store, and they said, do you know a tornado was spotted? And they told us where it was, and it's to our blind side. We had windows on three sides of the store, but the back side of the store, we had no windows. That's the side it was coming. And so he said, no, we didn't hear anything about that. So what do you do? Well, we close up the store and go home. What are you going to do? <laughs> so we just, we stayed there, we closed up the store, and we went on home. But you see, out when you live out there, you just don't, you don't think about it as much. It's a tornado. All right, well, they had some last week too. It's it's not as big, if it happens often enough, it, it just doesn't take you as as, uh, as quickly. And so we knew it was out there. We saw some of the damage it had done, but um, uh, it didn't come near us. We did okay. We got it all closed up and, and went on home. But they come on through, and it's not the winds. You probably know the anatomy of a tornado by now, but it's not the winds that that caused the damage in a tornado, though the winds are high. What causes the damage in a tornado is uh, the low pressure. When it settles over a building and that low pressure is there, the high pressure in the building blows out the walls, blows off the roof. That's what, that's the damage from the tornado. Inside the tornado you have a a pressure that is so low that air just, uh, there's not air pushing on both sides. See right now the walls are here, We have air pushing on this side, air pushing on this side. That keeps the wall up. If you get a tornado or some kind of a low pressure system out there and we're keeping the high pressure in here, then the walls get blown out. The roof gets blown up. Then the winds take them and they just blow it around. Now, I'm not telling you that the winds don't do any damage. I'm telling you that the greatest damage from a tornado is the low pressure. That's what blows things up. That's why things just seem to shatter. You ever seen that? Stuff just kind of shatters. It's the low pressure. It's blowing the thing out. Then the winds pick it up and they just start carrying it on around. Uh, I've heard many, many years ago, and maybe I was living out in Tulsa, they said that one of the things that you do when a tornado comes, it just is so backwards, it is so crazy to what you think, open the windows and doors. Don't keep them closed up. Open everything up. Everything that you can, open it to help let some of the pressure get out in a a good way. So um, I've always kept that in mind, never forgot that part about it. that's, uh, that's one of the things that you can, you can do to help out. But, you know, why didn't God just stop them? Well, this is, we're in a world with, with sin. And the Word of God says, let, uh, remember the, Jesus, the prayer that Jesus taught, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means in heaven the will of God is being done. Here it's not. Just because you see something being done does not mean it was God's will for it to occur. There are a lot of factors that can bring it about. I don't know the factors that could bring about the, the uh, tornado storms and stuff like that. I do know what brought about the storms to begin with. And this goes way, way, way on back and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this but I'll just give you the, the, briefly. The reason that you have hurricanes, the reason that you have thunderstorms, the reason that you have tropical storms, the reason these things come in is because the heat on the earth is not distributed properly. These all, All these systems come out of heat. What it does is it collects the heat and it distributes the heat to the other areas. It's a heat distribution system. It's just a very violent one. (laughs) When God created the earth, He put a firmament above the heavens. That firmament was the heat distribution system. That was God's. What you had, how many have ever heard this, up in the North Pole you had just about the same temperatures as you did the equator. Because God had a heat distribution system in place There were no hurricanes. There were no tornadoes. Sin came in when the flood came in. That firmament was taken away. No longer is that heat distribution system in place because of sin. And so now heat distributes other ways. If you stop the hurricanes, you will have a greater problem because the heat's not being distributed. I don't know what that problem would be. I just know you have a a greater problem if those things aren't, aren't coming about. So sin is the reason that we have these things. And God says, in order to fix this, we got to burn it up. And so if you'll find out at the end of the book of Revelation, you find out what's God do with the earth. Burns it up. Just burns it all. And he's just going to remake the whole earth. The oceans are going to go away. He's going to remake it. And he'll have a new heat distribution system. Whether he does the firmament again or does something else, I don't know. But he will have it in place and we won't have that. The reason that those things come about is not because of God's will. It's because of man's sin. So don't blame God when you see these things going on. It's man's sin that brought this about. God had a different plan and a different way of doing it. Well, why didn't God warn people? Maybe God did. I don't know what what happened with all that. When we walk in a lifestyle that we don't learn how to walk on the earth as Jesus walked, we don't learn how to walk on the earth as Jesus taught his disciples to walk to take authority over things, what things you can take authority over, what things you cannot take authority over then what happens is we start taking authority over things that we're not supposed to and we don't have confidence in our authority and so when it comes time to take authority over something we're supposed to, we don't have the confidence we don't have the the, uh, certainty that we can do it, and everything gets watered down, it costs to water down the gospel. They're talking to somebody last week. I know I've mentioned this to you before, but if you ever want to go out and get that book, if you haven't read it yet, Peter Marshall's book, Light and the Glory, you will find out from the very annals of Columbus that Columbus ran into uh, twisters. They're called water spouts on the water. And he stood on the bow of his boat and he took authority over that twister and it said the twister skipped over their boats. That's the Christopher Columbus they won't tell you about in schools. The one they want you to tell you about is that he found America by accident. He was going for India. He was not. He knew. He didn't know exactly where he was going, but he said, I love his, his phrase that he put in there. The, 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 the crew was getting ready to mutiny, but he said, but the spirit keeps beckoning me on. Keeps telling me, keep going, keep going. And so he kept going because the spirit in him said, no, keep going. A tremendous man of faith. The enemy wants you to use your prayer against things that they can't change so that when you come into something that you can change, you won't use it. You won't use it properly. You won't learn it right. He wants us to get involved with churches. Well, you know, we, we're we not learning how to take authority. We're not learning about faith. We're not learning about how to live like Jesus lived, how to walk about like the disciples walked about. But we're getting this, we're getting this, we're getting this, so that's good. As uh, was a Brother Cruffo Dollar, I think was the first one I heard it, where you go to church is a matter of life and death. I've taken that to heart. I like being around you folks. But, did David refuse to see the signs? Very likely. There were signs that he could have seen. More than likely, he just didn't want, to, didn't want to see them. But he should have. Maybe he didn't want to listen to some of the people. Maybe there were prophets that were speaking things he didn't want to listen to. I don't know all that went on. I know that God generally gives a warning on things, and if you ignore the warning, then the, the trouble will come. But I want you to look here at the words of Joab. Verse 7 again. Now, therefore, arise, go out, and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, Not one will stay with you this night and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Think about that statement. In this situation, does God want David removed? No. That was David's question when he left the city. He got it answered. No, God is still with me. God does not want me removed. God is not judging me. And so he got that question answered. That helped him out a lot. Do the people want David removed? They laid their life on the line for him. They don't want David removed. They didn't want the rebellion. So the people didn't want it. David doesn't want it. God didn't want it. But Joab is telling you right here, it's going to happen. Why? If you ignore this, if you keep being selfish, if you keep going after your needs, if you keep looking at this, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, this is what's going to happen. Many times we create our own problems and then look to God to bail us out. Now, I'm not telling you that God won't bail you out. I'm telling you stop blaming him for the problem. We've created our own problems. And we need to sometimes just go before God and say, God, I don't know what I did, but I know I did something. I'm in a mess. Can you give me wisdom? Help me out with this. Instead of going before God and said, God, don't you care? <laughs> like the disciples did. Don't be going that way. Talk to him about it. Just understand, most of our problems are things that we have done. We brought them on somehow. Right here, here, David has lost his focus. He's very mindful of what he is going through, but not what the kingdom is going through you got to be mindful of what the people around you are going through. If you want support, folks, on your team that will be there to help you, if you are only mindful of what you go through and not mindful of what they go through, then when they go through something, they're not going to be mindful of what you're going through. you got to sow that. You've got to help them out. Take an interest in them. The more people that depend on you, the less freedom you have to focus on yourself. Many times we are in a position that people depend on us. The easy part to see that is a uh, mom and dad, you got the kids, they depend on you. The more that you have, you just have one kid, that's not so hard. You get two, well, that's a little challenging. You know, my, my word of wisdom has always been to people, don't let the kids outnumber you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> don't let the kids outnumber you. Because as soon as they outnumber you, I mean, <laughs> then you got trouble. You know, as long as they don't outnumber you, all right, you take him, I'll take her, and you can you can handle that. But uh, you know how the Waltons did it? Uh, I don't know. If you ignore this, both will suffer. The people that do that depend on you, and you will suffer. You don't have a whole lot of freedom to focus on yourself. David has very little freedom to focus on himself because how many people depend on him? An entire kingdom. He doesn't have this freedom, but he's taking it, and it's going to cost him. Job comes in and wakes him up. Now, not everyone is willing to be a Joab. Just understand that. Most people won't come up and slap you upside the face. Don't hope that you get it. Now, it may be that they're not confident enough to to, uh, to uh, know that what they see is real. They're, they see something and they're thinking it, but I, well, maybe I'm wrong. And they talk themselves out of it. Joab, uh-uh. Let me tell you what, David, I see this and you're going to regret it. So they're not always confident enough to see, the, the feel that what they see is real. They're not bold enough to speak what they see. Or sometimes they're just too fearful. We're not confident. We're not bold enough. Sometimes we're just too fearful. You can be fearful not just for the person, how they'll respond. You you can be fearful for what you will lose. One thing Job never seems to be fearful of is losing his job. There's one time he tried to protect it, but he doesn't seem to be fearful of it. He doesn't come in and say, well, I'm going to do the thing that I need to do to stay in my job. No, if, if he's got to do something, he does it. If he needs to rebuke David, he rebukes him. And this time, he just up and slapped him up the face. Now, a job might make you angry. If you've got a job in your life and they come up and they slap you upside the face, they might make you angry. They might hurt your feelings. They might even make you sad. And the cost might seem high, but in the end, their words help far more than they hurt. And you need to sometimes listen. You need to always listen to that. How would you respond if you had a job in your life? If you were in David's shoes and Joab came up and said this to you, how would you respond? Off with his head. You could do that as a king. Now, I wrote this in your outline because I wanted you to make sure to get this one. Morning over yesterday will keep you from rejoicing in the present and dreaming of the future. Morning over yesterday will keep you from rejoicing in the present and dreaming of the future of the future. How we live, think, speak, and react to and about the events in our life will bring or repel either good or evil into our lives. How you live, how you think, how you speak the words that you say, how you react to and about the events in your life will bring or repel either good or bad. I can attract good things to my life and I can attract bad things into my life. It's up to you. You can do that. Now, how many people enjoyed the teaching we threw up there on, on Monday? Anybody enjoy that teaching we threw up there on Monday on the church Facebook page? A couple of people. All right, you're behind. These are These are some really good ones. I got another one coming up for you tomorrow. This is our Brother Jesse. Your brother Jesse is teaching, and I love this. I haven't really thought of the concept before, but the joy in believing. Now the quote that's in your bulletin came directly from that message. If you're not quite sure what the quote means, listen. Oh, it was fantastic. It was really good. You need to enjoy the journey, not just the destination. A lot of people, they want to get to the destination. I'm believing for healing, I just want to get well. Yeah, the journey's good too. The journey on anything that you're believing for can be good. That's coming out tomorrow. You'll see that at about noon. Take your lunch break. Listen to Brother Jesse. He's a good one for that. But how many of you know that Brother Jesse has good things that are attracted to him? He's constantly telling stories. Good things are being attracted to his life. You can attract good things, you can attract bad things. It's how you respond to the events that are going on in your life. Some people just respond in such a way that it just attracts more bad. And then they respond in exactly the same way and they attract more bad. And then they keep responding in the same way and more bad comes. I mean, stop how you're responding. Stop speaking the way that you're speaking. Stop thinking the way that you're thinking. Bad stuff happens. Oh, this is going on again. Oh, here it goes again. You're thinking the same way. You got to get that thinking out. You got to get that kind of speaking out. You got to change all that, because you're just going to attract more bad stuff to you. That's what you can do. So, what Joab says is not the will of God. He, this is not the will. It's not God's will that this happened. He says it's going to happen, but it's not God's will that it would be happening. It's not the will of the people. But it will go on. Just because something happened in your life does not mean it's the will of God. And you know that. You've heard that before. If you follow David's example here, in this, these eight verses, if you follow David's example, you will either hurt those God has put under you or cause God to not be able to use you in a way he planned to. If you follow David's example here, if you go with the way that David did this, you will either hurt those God has put under you or cause God to not be able to use you in a way he had planned. God's got a plan. He's got a thing laid out for you. This is where we want you to go. This is how he wants you to be used. But you can, you can short-circuit that. There's a whole mess of people in the Bible who short-circuited it. Whole mess of people. Jeroboam who stopped the plan of God from happening in their life. Many more beside that. All right, a couple of blanks for you here. Past corrupted is worry. Corrupted past is worry. When you worry, you worry about things that have already happened. You're worrying about things that, oh, I worry that this thing, now there's some future worry that you can do too. But if you want to corrupt the past, you're always worried about things. Redeemed past is remembrance. God wants you to put you in remembrance. I think about those things in the past. Oh, what if those kind of things happen again? What if all this is, is, uh, is going on more? This has always happened. Oh, I think it's going to keep on happening. Oh, and this, this hasn't happened here. and we, we worry, we fret. Don't be doing it. Get into the thing, remembrance. You can remember good things, you can remember bad things. And, you, and it can be good. It can be positive. Bad things teach you what not to do. Good things show you what God did. And if you do what God says to do, God can do it again. So if you are in the remembrance, and you're the devil wants to bring up something bad, oh yeah, I messed up there. I'm not going to do that again. And you get glad. You don't get all worried and fretful. Future corrupted is fear. Redeemed future is hope. And the Bible hope is a certain hope. I know where God is taking me. I know what he's doing. But the devil's going to try and corrupt it. He gets you afraid. This hasn't happened yet. The enemy will be happy for you to live in the past and be afraid of your future. The enemy will be happy with you to live in the, in the past and be afraid of your future. He's happy with that. Don't make him happy. God would have you live in the present. I may remember uh, Fred Price teaching on that. Faith is present. I love his presentation. Every time I find one of those and he starts teaching on faith is present, oh good, I'm going to hear this again. I love hearing him teach on that because faith is present. It's not past, it's not future. Faith is present. Faith is now. God would have you live in the present, fueled by your past victories or defeats. You can be fueled by a defeat. And the lessons learned from them. Aiming for the hope of the future he has for you. Aim for that future. This is where we're going, God. And even if I got derailed, you can still take me there. You can still fix it. When you live in the past, you fall behind those that are living in the present. When you live in the past, you fall behind those living in the present. They're ahead of you. If you fall behind them, guess who's around you? Other people that are living in the past. Other people that are weak. Other people. They're not, the strong ones, they're in the present. They're up ahead of you. If you wanna have those strong ones there, Helping you out and support you. you got to be up with them. Can't be back over here. you got to get up in the, into this, this thing. Now, um, I'm not, I haven't done races in a long, long time. But I know people who have done uh, road races. And they started a new thing in where they have uh, groupings of, of people. So if you want to run the race, say you're running a, a 10K. And you want to run the race at a 7-minute mile pace. They have a 7-minute mile grouping. And somebody will run with a flag. I'm the seven-minute-mile guy. And he's he or she is going to run at a seven-minute-mile pace. And if you want to run, that's the pace you want to go, you get in with that group. And you keep your eye on the guy with the flag with the seven-minute-mile. That's where I'm going to go. If you want to do an eight-minute-mile, seven-and-a-half, eight-and-a-half, nine, ten, whatever it is, they have somebody who's going to run the time that you want to run, and you can just keep your eye on them. You just keep around that. Now, if you want to run a six-minute mile, average pace for the race, you don't get around people that are running a 10-minute mile. That's not what you do. you got to get around people that are going to be running the race the way you want to run the race. Because if you don't, then you, you've got a problem. Now, we had um, uh, road races, you know, they're, they're wide, They're real real wide, got lots of room. But when we ran across country, we didn't have that. We had a wide area that we started, and before you had finished the first mile, it'd get on down to a narrow way. So what you had to do is go out fast. You had to run fast. Your first mile was a fast one because you had to get out in front of people because if you got behind slower people than you, then you would have a tough time getting around them. You want to be around the people that are going the pace that you want to go in your spiritual life. And if you keep living in the past, you're going to be going at a slower pace. You're going to be going at a pace that people that are living in the past do. People that are caught up with worries and cares and fears. You're going to be running with them. If you're going to run with them, that's the pace you're going to keep. That's not what you want to do. Generally, whenever you get into a road race like that, you want to get around people that are going to push you a little bit. If you can run an eight-minute mile, I'm going to... Target those people that are running a seven-and-a-half-minute mile. I'm going to see if I can keep up with them. Because, you see, if you stay with them, they're going to push you further. A lot of times Christians, they, they get back with people that are living in the past, and they're held back. Those people can't support you for what God has called you to do. Because if God called you to live a life that requires you to be at the front of the pack, what are you doing at the back? Why are you back there? No, you've got to be pushing forward. You've got to get going. Get yourself moving. This is where I need to be. Oh, but it's hard. Sure it is. That's why you got these people around you to help you out. They're moving you along. We've got to finish this off here. I always ask this question. Why doesn't David go after Ziba? Because Ziba is found out to be a liar. He doesn't seem to go back. Let's read, read this over here in verse 24. Now, Baphibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. How many people have a mustache? That's what I thought. <laughs> not many. So you probably won't appreciate this verse the way I do. I've had a, I've had a mustache since the um, Iranian hostage crisis because um, my roommate was teasing me, roommate Bob. I, for some reason, I started growing it during then. And so he said, we're going to write to the Ayatollah, and we're going to tell them that Steve Hector is not going to shave off his mustache until you let the hostages go. <laughs> well, then you let the hostages go, and I still kept the mustache on. So I, I know, if you, don't let your, if you don't trim the mustache, and I trim mine at least twice a week, sometimes more, because I don't like it when it gets long. It gets in my way. You know, it, it kind of gets down over your lip. Once it starts tucking my lip, it's gone. It's out of here. We cut that sucker off. I don't, I don't want it. It's like my hair. My hair gets to a certain length. It's gone. I, I don't care. Cut it. Get it short. I don't want it long. I don't want it to be in the way. I don't want to have to think about it. Cut the hair. And we just, we just cut it to a certain length and I don't have to be thinking about it for a while. But I, I know what this is like. So he's not cutting his mustache. That means that thing is getting into his mouth. If he's eating, that thing's getting in his mouth. Even if he's not eating, it's still getting in your mouth, it's on your lip, it's irritating. But he did it. He didn't care for his nails. How many people have not cared for your nails? I mean, you don't have to, it's not like something you have to do all the time, every day. But some people might, I don't have to do that every day. Some people, some people do. They take care of their nails. Mine have never been a big deal. But he didn't do all this. He, it says, he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. Even after the war was over, he still didn't clean himself up. Now, how many you uh like to wear clothes two days in a row? Anybody? <laughs> Three days in a row? Four days in a row? After a while, I mean, those clothes just start to bug you. You, you, you got stuff on them. You want to get them cleaned up. You want to get them washed. He's not doing it. And so when David comes back, he sees Mephibosheth. And he, you can tell, this is not something you can just fabricate. You can't just, oh, you know what, I'm just going to grow my mustache right now. And just grow it so that it looks like it was not trimmed. No, David comes in, he sees, obviously this guy has not been taking care of himself. It does not look like the Mephibosheth I know. This also says something that's not in the text, not anywhere in there, but you'll know that this is true. It's very evident that he does not like what's going on. And where does he live? In the palace. Who took over the palace? Absalom. Who is a target for Absalom? Mephibosheth. If you're Mephibosheth, wouldn't you just want to disappear into the woodwork? kind of just not be noticed. But if you're not taking a bath, not changing your clothes, you're going to get some notice. People are going, oh, Mephibosheth is around. Oh, man. (laughs) Let's try and move to another area of the palace right now. Absalom maybe even come to him and said, why aren't you taking a bath? Maybe some of the servants came. Why aren't you taking a bath? Why aren't you cutting your mustache? Why aren't you doing all these things? I am not until David returns home. David is not returning home. Absalom is not the king. I don't believe he's the king. David is the king. He had to proclaim this in the enemy's territory. That is saying something about Mephibosheth. And Ziba made up this lie about him. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king. The king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? First question asked. David's been thinking about this probably thinking, man, I did so much good for that guy, and this is what he did. And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it, and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore... What right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. So I ask the question, Why doesn't he go after Ziba? I mean, he lied to him. Why doesn't David go after him? I think David's embarrassed. And I think he, he's caught believing something that wasn't true and he just wants to, just, just wants to get away with it. That's not usually the David we see. David Usually David rises up when he messes up. Hey, I did it. Not this time. David says, oh, you guys handle it. I don't care. Split it. Just split all the stuff. And Mephibosheth says, now let him take it all. I'm just so glad that you're here. I don't have need of any of those things. Zebus spoke empty words. See, there's no substance to it. He spoke words, but there's nothing behind those words. He said things about Mephibosheth, but those things weren't true. They were empty words. But you see, Mephibosheth's words had substance. He didn't just say, David, I've been waiting for you to come home. He had actions that showed, David, I've let everybody know, I'm waiting for you to come home. I'm not trying to take over the kingdom. I'm not looking to support Absalom. I'm waiting for you to come home. If I wasn't lame, I would have walked out on my own. But I couldn't do it. You will have zebras that will show up in your life. These people will say empty words, make empty promises. Sometimes they may even persuade you to go along. Once you discover them, you better backtrack and get out of it. If somebody came to you, got you to say some things, You can have all the stuff, and you come out and find that it's not true, there ought to be, there ought to be something to pay. You shouldn't be allowed to keep on doing it. David didn't want to bring the justice here. Now, intentions are best demonstrated not by words, but by actions. If you want to find out how a person, what a person's intentions are, look at their actions, not their words. We want to look at the words. Somebody comes to us with flattering words and says, oh, you're the best. Oh, you're the greatest. Oh, I so appreciate you. Oh, you're such a great, whatever it might be. They're words. Look at their actions. Look at the people that have actions that support it. Because there's two main kind of people here. The people who have actions and don't care about the words. And the people who have words but don't have supportive actions. You will have people around in your life right now that are more concerned that their actions are right than words second. Those are the people you want on your team. Look at people who go around and make sure that what they're doing is right. More so than what they're saying. They don't go out and they don't brag to people about all the things that they did. They don't go and show everybody all the things that they had done in support of them. But then also look at the flip side. When you find people who say one thing, but then the actions aren't there, if you support, if you trust them to be your support, they will let you down. But they will let you down at the worst possible time. And what was a bad situation will become worse because God expects us to learn from His Word and practice this. When you see people that are more focused on the words than they are the actions, they are probably a faker, a pretender, or a quack. And if you bring them into your life, you will bring all that stuff into your life with them. If you bring them into your life as a support, I understand you may have a ministry trying to help them out, but if you bring them into your life as a, as a support, it's not going to be helpful. You've got to find those people out there that are more concerned that their actions are solid, that they're doing the right thing, than that they say all the nice flowery things to you. You ever have people in your office always making sure they're coming up and saying, oh, how you doing? Are you having a good day? And all these nice shallow things and finding out. But then behind your, your back, they have actions that go against all those things that they say. Those are not the people you want on your team. You can try and help them, but they're not the people that you want on the team. The people you want on your team are the people like we saw last chapter. It's high. He had actions. He didn't have time for flattering words. He had actions. David, I'm going with you. If you die, I die. Wherever you go, wherever you sleep, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to sleep. I'm going with you. You had people like Hushai, that when he comes to him, he says, hey, you're going to slow me down if you come with me. Go on back. Go on back and help turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. God will give you wisdom. He will help you see the people that are merely talkers. They're not doers. They don't have the substance of the doing. What are your words saying to the people that are around you? What do they say to you? What do they say to God? Be real careful about your words. I try and be real careful about this. I'm sometimes running on down the road. Sometimes John and I are running on down the road and we we pass people. And I stopped this years ago. I won't do it. But a lot of times we do in America, we just have that greeting. How you doing? But I thought, I really don't, care for the answer. I mean, I don't. I'm running. I'm not going to stop and listen to how you're doing. I'm not going to do it. So I I don't say it anymore. Now, John still will. Every once in a while, John John still will go out there, how you doing? And, you know, they just, uh, fine, how you doing? I'm fine. And then they keep on going. (laughs) I don't do that. I say, good morning. I say, hi, or something like that. I don't, uh, I, I don't say it because I'm not stopping I mean, later on I might care how you're doing. Right now, I don't. I'm not going to say, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, how you doing? Oh, I'm all right. No, I'm not gonna not gonna do it. be careful of your words. Don't say words you don't mean. Get in that practice. Don't say words that you don't mean. Hey, if you need any help, call me. Don't say that if you don't mean it. Make sure you mean it. Because if you get into the practice of saying things you don't mean, you're leaving the door open for people to do the same thing to you. And you're showing to other people, I am not a person you can rely on. I gotta change change what's going on. I know it's not good for me to talk bad about people, but I can talk bad about certain people because they're so bad. No? You gotta be careful. You gotta be watchful. This is a lifestyle to change you for the better. And it is God's intended path for all of us. Don't be quick to dismiss what others do by what some say or you come to think. Don't be quick. People have sown into you. People have been loyal to you. People have been helpful for you. People have shown concern for you. Don't sell that out because somebody said something. Don't sell it out for that. Practice this. No, no, no. Those people, they've been there for me. When I needed them, they were there. I'm not believing that. Get into that practice. It's a lifestyle. Get this part down. The enemy's main weapon against us are words without foundation. That is the enemy's main weapon against us. Words with no foundation. When he came against Eve, what does he say? Has God really said, You will not surely die? These are words without foundation. Sowing a thought. Many times he will do the same thing with you, with the people that are in your life. He will sow a thought. Are they really loyal? Are they really caring? Are they really. And the thought gets sown. There's no foundation to it, there's no witnesses to anything. It's just a thought. That's his weapon. Disarm those weapons. Don't let those weapons go on. And start with the people that you see. When someone you see comes and starts to say a bad thing about someone, so a nasty thought about someone, resist it. If you can't resist the people you can see, how are you going to resist the people you can't? Learn it. This is a lifestyle. Don't go that way. Now, God worked for us with actions first. God loved us before we could love Him. He died on the cross for us before we did anything for Him. Actions first, followed by words with strong backing. But there were actions first. That's how God did things. Get the actions in there. Get your actions in there to be supportive. You're going to have an opportunity to have actions to support some people that are around you. Take them. Well, I don't know if I really want to do that today. No, do it. Because as you sow these actions into others, you're opening the opportunity for those to come back to you. You are becoming a person of action, not a person of words. Now, words are powerful. We know from the Word of God, words are powerful. But you've got to have some actions. They can't just be empty words. They have to have substance. Let your words have substance. Ziba is hoping to hatch a plot. Apparently it did work for him for a while, but later on towards the end of David's life, we see that it changed. Be a person of action. What can I do? Look for the people in your life that are people of action. Those are the people that you need in your life. Begin to build your support team. You build your support team by helping them. David helped out the people that were around him. He didn't have a whole lot, but what he had, he gave into him. He sewed into him, and he got the four hundred men, the six hundred men. He got other people that were beginning to added to him. And when he came into a crisis, he had people he could rely on. And the crisis went by because of the people that God had put around them. There are people that God has put in your life, and some crises. I've gotten the better of you in the past because you didn't know how to use the people that are around you. But God has a support team for you. He's got people in your life right now. It may not look like much. That's all right. You didn't look like a whole lot either before. And you got developed and you got better. How many of you all know we're better now than five years ago? We're better now than we were ten years ago. And the people that are around you are getting better too you would be a part of helping them. And when you have a crisis, when you have something goes on, they will be there. Would you all stand up with me? Father, you do not want crises to come into our life. It's not your will. But you know that they will because the enemy is about. And there's times that the enemy is hatching plots and plans. And you say to your army, I need you to go over here and fight this and battle this. And we're ready to go. You have put people around us that will help us in that in that situation. They will be our support, Father. Your great love for us sees the things that are ahead, prepares us, even at times warns us. There are times in the Word of God where angels showed up and fought the battle, but not always. But wherever you lead us, you have equipped us and you have prepared us. We want to trust you. Give you the praise and the glory for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name.